Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, good. It's good to see you. I want to welcome you to Cannon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in today. And I also want to welcome you if you're joining us today, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. I want to ask you to do me a favor uh, during service today. You can visit our website uh, and fill out our Connect card. Uh, We just want to get a little information from you so that we can serve you the best way that we can. And there's a few ways for you to do that. You can point your phone's camera at this code on the screen behind me, and it'll direct you there. You can text the word guest to this number on the screen behind me. Or if you received a bulletin on your way in today, you can Uh, fill out the little card and tear it out and drop in the plates as you leave today. We just want to get some information from you so that we can serve you the best way that we can. And I'm glad that you're here for the second week of this series that we started last week called Difficult People. All right. And I want to give you a little warning. Sometimes at church, we talk about things that are extremely relevant to our lives. All right. But today, that's not going to be the case. Today, we're going to talk about something that is completely irrelevant to all of us. All right. We're going to talk about taming the tongue. And I say that it's irrelevant because I know that no one here struggles with your tongue. I know that you've never said anything dumb. I know that you've never said anything bad. I know that you've never gossiped, so we're just going to get through this really quickly and we'll move on, all right? But we're in this series, Difficult People, and we're taking a look at some passages in the book of James to see what he has to say about relationships. And we're not just talking about marriage relationships. We're not talking about dating relationships. This series, what we're talking about, applies to every late relationship that we have in this life. And we started out the series last week kind of making the point, Difficult People, You are one. You and I, we're the problem, all right? And we talked about how God created us to need each other. He created us to need people, and he created several institutions for that. He created the family for that. He created the church for that. We were never intended to be alone. We're supposed to do life together, all right? Now, the problem with that is we're all human. We're all broken. We're all sinful, And as sinful, broken human beings, we struggle to get along and we get offended and we take things personally and we get defensive and we argue and we hurt people. And the most common way we hurt people is with our words, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter three. You can also follow along with our event in the YouVersion Bible app. I don't know about you, but I love the book of James. I believe that James is one of the most practical books of the entire Bible. I think we ought to memorize it. But James is extremely down to earth. And there's a lot of love, there's a lot of grace, but there's also a lot of truth, and we need to hear it, all right? And I wanna just encourage you as we continue going through this series for the next several weeks, throughout the week, Read through the book of James, all right? Take a chapter a day. It's just a few short chapters. It's not gonna take a great deal of time, but the more you read through James, the more familiar you'll become with it and it'll start to impact your life. I truly believe that. So today we're gonna take a look at James chapter three. We're gonna talk about taming the tongue. We're gonna talk about our words, all right? And if there was ever a moment (laughs) where I feel like I'm preaching and teaching something that I'm still trying to figure out, today is the day, all right? 
This is a universal struggle. We struggle when it comes to taming our tongues. And I made a bold statement last week and I wanna make another one today. Last week I made the claim that if we could master those two verses, that all of the relationships in our lives would improve dramatically. If we could be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and understand that our broken human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, if we can master that, our relationships will change. And I'm gonna make another bold statement today, and here it is. I believe that if you can tame your tongue, you can master everything else there is to master in this life. I believe that. If you can tame your tongue, you can master anything else. Here's what I mean by that. The tongue is the most difficult thing for us to control. But if you can control your tongue, if you can control your words, if you can overcome this, I believe you'll be able to overcome every other temptation in this life. But with that being said, I know that I'm struggling to figure this out. I'm still on the journey of learning this and putting this into practice. So I want us to take a look at what James has to say. We're gonna read a good, a good portion here. James chapter three, verse one. Here's how he starts. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. I wanna pause right there and explain what James is saying. He's basically saying that when we as preachers or teachers or we as ministers of the gospel and believers in Christ, when we open our mouths, we're representing God. So if we get that wrong, there's a greater responsibility involved for every single one of us. So James isn't saying don't teach. He's not saying don't share the gospel. He's saying be careful about this. Don't treat it frivolously. Understand that there's a greater responsibility, a stricter judgment. So he's saying, if you, as a Christian, claim to represent God, you need to be careful with your tongue. You need to be careful with your words. Remember the claim that I just made. James is about to make it. He says this in verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. There it is. If we can master this, we can master everything else. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. 
Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. All right. What I love the most about this passage is that James gets right after the heart of the issue. He goes for the root of it all. And this is a pretty long passage, 12 wordy verses, but James is just talking about one single issue. But the one issue that he's talking about is huge, right? It dominates everything else. But if we can figure this out, if we can master this, if we can speak life instead of death, if we can speak blessing instead of cursing, if we can speak in ways that are wise instead of foolish, if we can master the tongue, we can control everything else. We can be in true control of ourselves, our hearts, our feelings, and our desires if we can master the tongue. James is letting us know that this is the single biggest challenge that we're going to face. But if I can just take my tongue, if I can just take my words and make them submissive and obedient to God's will, every other temptation is going to pale in comparison. In other words, this is big. Are you with me this morning? So from what James said, we're gonna start out today and I wanna make for you a few points about the power of the tongue. We're gonna take this uh, passage just in sections and talk about the power of our words. Then we'll talk about how to fix it. All right, here's the first thing James tells us about the power of our words. Number one, my words determine my direction, all right? My life goes in a particular direction, at least in part, based on the words that I speak, okay? Now, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer right here before I explain this. I've been hearing this a lot lately, and it really drives me insane, all right? I'm not into this new age idea that we speak things into reality. As far as I'm concerned, God is the only one who does that. I don't think that we speak things, that we manifest things with our words. For example, if I say I'm a millionaire, I'm not gonna expect millions of dollars to start flooding into my bank account because our words aren't magical. Our words aren't mystical. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. The words that come out of my mouth reflect what I believe in my heart. So what I speak about life, what I speak about other people, what I speak about myself, I'm convincing myself of it even as I speak it. As the words come out of my mouth, I'm just affirming and reinforcing what I already believe in my heart. So when I say certain things about my life or my direction, these things are often self-fulfilling, not because I'm manifesting something, but because I'm continuing to reinforce what I already believe in my heart. Does that make sense? So it's not a matter of speaking things into existence. It's not a matter of manifesting things. It simply means that my words are powerful. They can determine my direction. James explains it for us like this in verse three. He says, now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies, all right? Now, I've ridden one horse in my entire life. I was in Galveston when I was in college for spring break with some friends. And they wanted to go horseback riding on the beach, which to each their own, right? And we arrive at the place and we're gonna get on the horses and they start asking us these questions, like how experienced are you at riding a horse? Well, I didn't know that I needed any experience. 
And I said, well, I don't have any experience. I've never ridden a horse before. And they said, we have the perfect horse for you. His name is Hobo, all right? And Hobo, I wish I had the picture. Hobo's about four feet shorter than all the other horses. And I spent this two-hour ride about 100 yards behind the rest of the group on Hobo. And it was really funny. The funniest thing about it was that everyone was laughing because, you know, there's people on the beach and here come these 10 people on horses. And they're like, wow, look at the horses. And then, and then here comes me on this little horse named Hobo. He wouldn't walk. And they told me, you know, you just kind of kick him and he'll go. He would not go. And with the exception of Hobo, the rest of the horses were powerful, right? We use the word horsepower to describe the, the power of the engines in our cars. Why? Because horses are powerful. But we can determine the direction of a horse with this little tiny bit that we put into its mouth. And when the horse feels pressure on either side, it changes direction. In the same way, our words, our tongues, they affect the direction of our lives. If you're not convinced, James gives us another example. Verse four, consider ships. Though they're very large and driven by the wind, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Think about a cruise ship, all right? These things are 20 stories tall and there's a little rudder underneath down in the water and the captain of that ship turns that rudder and the entire ship changes direction. In the same way, the words that come out of our mouths can change the direction of our lives. What you say about yourself, what you say about other people, what you say about life, it's all a reflection of what you believe in your heart. And we tend to lean into the direction of what we're affirming to be true with our words. So yes, there is a difference between saying, I'm going somewhere with my life and I'm not going anywhere with my life. There's a difference between saying I'll never find love and love is bound to find me because God is love. There's a big difference in saying I can do this and I'll never be able to do it. There's a big difference between saying I can overcome this and I'll never overcome this. There's a big difference between saying I'll never amount to anything and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The way I speak determines the direction of my life, not in a mystical way, in a practical way. We either live up or live down to what we're saying about ourselves. Our words determine the direction of our lives, all right? Here's the second thing James tells us about the power of our words. He says, my words can do one of two things. They can build up or they can tear down. They can either build up or tear down. Do you remember when we were kids, we used to say this thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. If that isn't the biggest lie anyone has ever told you, not only is it a lie, it's, a, it's an extremely irresponsible statement for us to teach our children to believe because our words can be very hurtful. Our words can be very destructive. Verse five, James says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. In other words, James is saying, even though the tongue is small compared to the other parts of the body, it's capable of great things. It's capable of powerful things. You can inspire with your words. You can motivate with your words. You can influence with your words. It boasts great things. 
Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Many of the forest fires that we see here in the United States that burn thousands and thousands of acres to the ground are often started by a campfire or a cigarette. In other words, one small spark can do a lot of burning. One small spark can do a lot of damage. And James says the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. When James compares the tongue to a fire, I don't think he's just talking about how destructive it can be. I think he's also talking about how it creates a chain reaction. In other words, when I hurt someone with my words, that's never the end of the story because what do hurt people do? They hurt people. So when I choose to hurt someone with my words, I'm starting a chain reaction that's going to end up affecting other people down the line. Let's think about how this happens at home, right? Everybody at home can be having a great day and then someone gets home and they've had not so great of a day and they're grumpy and they're tired and the dynamic of the entire house begins to change very quickly. You know what I'm talking about? and something goes wrong, and that grumpiness spreads to everyone else in the house. It's a chain reaction. It spreads like wildfire. What starts as one seemingly small spark can very quickly cause things to become completely out of control. I can spread fear with my words. I can spread hate with my words. I can spread anger with my words, but I can also spread love with my words. I can either build up or I can tear down. I can spread grace with my words. Here's the thing. You get to choose what you're spreading. All right? My words can either build up or tear down. And here's the third thing James wants us to know. My words, number three, display my character. And this is probably the most difficult one for us to understand because we like to separate our actions from our character. We like to separate our actions from our identity. We want to be able to say, look, I know I have a tendency to do that. I know I have a tendency to act that way, but that's really not who I am. I'm not really like that. I might say that a lot, but that doesn't really reflect what's in my heart because my heart is good. What does James say? Verse nine, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. He says, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. These things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water with the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. In other words, a very common and well-known saying, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Now, if you're thinking, well, James must be wrong about that. Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Brood of vipers. That's what he's calling us. I'm offended. How can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. In other words, what comes out of my mouth reflects what's in my heart, okay? When something harsh comes out of my mouth, that must mean there's some harshness in my heart. When something deceitful comes out of my mouth, that must mean there's some deceitfulness in my heart. I might be making up words here. 
When something selfish comes out of my mouth, it must mean that there's selfishness in my heart. And in the same way, when something life-giving comes out of my mouth, it must be because my heart is alive in Christ. When a blessing comes out of my mouth, it must mean that my heart has been blessed by God. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart, okay? And this is very hard for us to embrace. And here's the reason why. We have a very popular phrase in our culture today that we need to get rid of, okay? And here's the phrase, it's simply this, that's not what I meant. You ever said that before? That's not what I meant. That thing that you just said that really hurt me and put me down, well, that's not what I meant. Well, it's what came out. Well, it's what you said. And if it comes out of your mouth, you have to deal with it. Now, there are moments when we say things in a moment of emotional outrage that we truly might not mean. And you know what that means? That means that we need more self-control. That means that we need to tame the tongue. So if you say something that you truly didn't mean, instead of giving a cop-out response like, well, I didn't mean it, ask yourself this, if I didn't mean it, then why did I say it? If I didn't mean it, then why did it come out of my mouth? Maybe I believe it more than I think I do. Listen, you have to deal with your words. If they reflect something ugly, there's probably some ugliness that you have to deal with. But it's no longer fair to say, well, I didn't mean it, or it wasn't a big deal, or that's not really me. No, deal with it. Because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right? So we understand that the tongue is powerful. It determines my direction. It builds up or tears down. It displays my character. It spreads like wildfire. Wildflower, it's fire. I'm spring is on my mind. Wildflowers. Spreads like wildfire. It's deadly like poison. It can either be an extremely powerful tool or an extremely powerful weapon, depending on how I choose to use it. So how do we tame the tongue? How do we fix the problem? How do we deal with it? I'm gonna give you a few things this morning. The first one is this. If you wanna tame your tongue, you need to change your heart, all right? If you wanna tame the tongue, you need to change the heart. If what's in my heart is what comes out of my mouth, then in order to change my tongue, I first need to change my heart. Remember what Jesus said, brood of vipers, brood of snakes, How can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, okay? Out of the overflow of what I'm thinking and feeling and believing in my heart, that's where my words come from. That's where they're formed. So if that's true, then I desperately need to change my heart. If that's true, then I desperately need to renew my heart. Now you might be thinking, great, We need God to do that for us. I can't change my heart on my own. The answer is yes, we do need God to do that. But the Bible also gives us multiple examples of times when people needed to renew their own hearts. There's one in Ezekiel chapter 18. He says this, put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart in a new spirit. In other words, while I absolutely do need to submit to the heart of the spirit of God and allow him to change the way I think and feel, I also 
need to do some renovation of my own. I also need to be honest about where my heart is. I need to change my heart. I need to change my feelings. I need to change my desires because an unhealthy heart is going to cause me to vomit a lot of unhealthy words on everybody that I come in contact with, all right? You need to change the heart. Here's another thing, drives me nuts. When I hear people throwing things away because their heart isn't in it anymore, you know? I have pastor friends that are walking away from ministry in droves because their heart's not in it anymore. I have people that I know that are throwing away marriages and abandoning people because their heart isn't in it anymore. They say, this isn't just not for me. My heart's not in it anymore. I'm not feeling it anymore. I don't desire it anymore. And I just need to think about myself and go find something that's gonna make me happy. So I'm giving up on my calling. I'm throwing away my marriage and abandoning someone because my heart's not in it anymore. To that, I would say, fix your heart. You get to decide what you want in life. You get to decide what makes you happy. You get to decide who you're gonna love. You get to decide how you're gonna spend your money. And you get to decide where your dedication is going to lie. Fix your heart. Now again, if you're in an abusive relationship or if you're not being treated right, get out of the relationship, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying that we should not follow our hearts. We should follow Jesus. And all of our thoughts and feelings should be subject to him. We take every thought, every feeling, every emotion captive and make them obedient to Christ. You determine the direction of your heart. And if there's an unhealthy part of your heart that you feed, you're gonna move in an unhealthy direction. And in the same way, if there's a healthy part of your heart that you feed, your life is gonna move in a healthy direction. So change your heart. Yes, we need God's help, but we also need to do some renovation of our own. We also need to take an inventory of our hearts and say, you know what? This isn't gonna fit anymore. This has to go. This isn't holy. This isn't working. So I'm giving this to God. Change my heart. Change my thinking. In other words, if you truly allow God to have his way in your heart, it will change what comes out of your mouth. Does that make sense? If you allow God to work in your heart, it'll change what comes out of your mouth. Because when your heart is changed, when your heart is renewed, when your heart is different, your words will be changed and renewed and different as well. Here's another thing, all right, that we need to stop doing. Difficult people go around and they treat everyone terribly and then they justify their behavior by saying this, well, this is just who I am. Have you ever heard that before? This is just who I've always been. I'm blunt, I'm rude, I'm honest, I tell the truth. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. When someone says that to you, do you know what they're really saying? They're saying, I'm my own God, I'm perfect, I'm sinless, and I don't need God to do work in my life. That's what they're saying. If your excuse is, well, this is just who I am, here's what you're telling me. You must be too good for God to move in your life. That's what you're telling me. So I'm just gonna keep being a jerk. I'm just gonna keep being blunt. I'm just gonna keep telling everyone what I think and feel because that's just who I am. And I love that because the Bible tells us that we should tell the truth. But what does it say? It says, speak the truth in what? Love. 
And unfortunately, the way these people tend to tell the truth doesn't feel very loving. Yeah, but it's the truth. Yeah, but you deserved it. Yeah, but everyone was thinking it. Yeah, but this is just who I am. No, that's who you're choosing to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we should never confront people with the truth. We should always speak the truth in love. But when we're speaking the truth, our motive should always be to restore and to heal. In other words, if you're confronting someone with the truth, with an ounce of self-righteousness in your heart, leave it to God. I would go as far as to say this. If you can't speak the truth in love, don't speak the truth at all because God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you going around burning people with the truth. He doesn't need you going around giving a very harsh assessment of people. If we're gonna speak the truth, our motive should always be to restore and to heal. And if you can't speak the truth in love, just keep your mouth shut, all right? Now, the Bible's very clear that there will be times where we have to confront people. There will be times where we have to speak the truth, but we always do it out of love, out of respect, out of care. And here's the thing. When we do it out of love, there's a much greater chance that it's going to make an impact on the person that we're sharing it with. Have you noticed that? Our goal should always be restoration. So we got to quit making excuses. Well, I didn't mean it. Well, this is just who I am. No, it's a heart issue. If something ugly is coming out, we need to repent and ask God to, re to renew our hearts. Are you with me this morning? All right. I promise next month we'll, we'll leave encouraged, okay? <laughs> Number two, here's the second thing. If you want to tame your tongue, use your words for praise, all right? You cannot be critical and worship God at the same time. You cannot be negative and worship God at the same time. You can't be a habitual liar and a habitual worshiper simultaneously. Now, it is possible for you to use your words for praise on Sunday morning and then use them for poison Sunday afternoon. But when your heart is in a constant state of praise, then praise is going to be what comes out of your mouth. All right, verse nine, James says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Okay, Here, what does this mean? This means that we need to learn how to use our words for praise all the time. Because when I'm praising God, when I'm praying, cursing will not flow out of my mouth if I'm too busy praising. And I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that we as Christians should be the most positive, encouraging, uplifting, joy-filled people on the planet. The problem is, most of the time, we're not. Most of the time, we're negative. Most of the time, we're critical. We're never satisfied. We complain about everything and everyone, especially when things don't go our way. We're selfish. And all we have is a backpack full of harsh criticism to hand out. In other words, we have fallen short, all right? I've shared this story before, so you're probably familiar with it, but I wanna share it again because it offers a different perspective that I want you to see and feel the weight of some of these things. One of my best friends from high school came and spent a year with me at UMHB in college. And he was an atheist. And he came, he spent a year with me and I made it my personal mission that year. I'm gonna lead this, this kid to Jesus. And I have from August to May to make it happen. 
And just in case you're wondering, he hates me and we haven't spoken in years, okay? (laughs) But I tried so hard that year and I never pushed. I just did my best to point him to Jesus. And after nine months, one month before this roommate deal is over with, I get him to come to church on a Sunday at the church that I go to. And it's not a church, not this church. It's a church in town where I served as an intern. And when he came in the building, he was wearing a hat. Now, would I wear a hat in church? No, because I always have hair gel, okay? But he, listen to me, this is the first time this kid has been in church in his entire life and he did not even make it to a seat. Didn't even make it to a seat because there was a fella at the door who gave him a tongue lashing because he came in with a hat on. Here's what happened in that moment. The progress that I made in nine months is erased in five seconds because of someone else's selfishness. Here's the thing. That is now the image that he has of Christianity. That is now the image that he has of Jesus. And that's not a proper image of Jesus because Jesus found his way into the homes of tax collectors. That's not a proper image of Jesus because Jesus dined with sinners. That's not a proper image of Jesus because prostitutes fell at the feet of Jesus to thank him for his grace. Jesus managed to speak life and grace and peace into people's lives, even when their lifestyles demonstrated a great difference between them and God. He used his words to draw people in, not push them away. He built bridges between himself and the people who did not know him. And he didn't do it by complaining about them. He didn't do it by criticizing them. He did it by loving them. He did it by giving them grace. And that's why verse nine holds one of the most important little phrases in this passage. James says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who were made in God's likeness. Everyone you meet was made in God's likeness. Everyone you meet bears the image of God. Everyone you meet was created by God to reflect his glory. They might not know it yet. They might not believe it yet. They might not understand it yet. They've probably made some mistakes along the way. They were probably raised differently. Their lifestyle might be very different. But every person from every country, every belief system, every background, every single person on this planet bears the image of God. And as Christians, our assignment is not to go around and hand out harsh criticism to the people that we don't agree with, but that is what we do. And here's what what you're doing when you do that. You're destroying the image that people have of Jesus. You're destroying the image that people have of the church. So we need to change our hearts. We need to use our words for praise. Psalm 63, I love this. The psalmist writes, your unfailing love, God is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. You cannot be negative and praise God at the same time. You cannot be critical and praise God at the same time. Let's use our words for praise, all right? Here's the final challenge. If you wanna tame your tongue, use your words for healing 
and restoration. We use our words to repair and restore. Okay? The tongue is the most powerful weapon in the world, and it can do a lot of damage. You might be thinking, what about nuclear weapons? What about atomic bombs? What about tanks? What gets us to the point of needing them? The tongue. It starts with the tongue. Starts with the words. Starts with what we say. So as I said a moment ago, the tongue can either be a dangerous weapon or it can be a powerful tool. Now I'm willing to bet that every single one of us in this room this morning has done some damage with our words. That's all a boat that we're in together, sailing along the sea. But God didn't give us a tongue so that we'd use it as a weapon. He wants us to use it as a tool. He wants us to use it to encourage people. He wants us to use it to share the message of the gospel with people. He wants us to use it to speak grace into people who haven't experienced it yet. He's given us the ability to apologize. He's given us the ability to forgive. He's given us the ability to encourage and compliment and affirm. Here's what I'm getting at. We're all praying for the world to change. How many of you want to live in a better world? We're praying for that. God, bring revival to this country, bring revival to this world. We're praying those prayers and we're asking God to do incredible things when really we're the agents of making that happen, right? God put us here in this period of time in history for a reason. And we're posting on Facebook about revival. We're praying for revival. We're believing God for revival. We want the country to be better. We want the world to be, to be better. And what we're doing as Christians and followers of Jesus is we pray those prayers and then we leave and we hand out harsh criticism and we are negative and we complain and we mock people. We use our tongues to praise and to criticize and mock people who are made in God's likeness. Here's what I'm getting at. Our words have the ability to change this world in amazingly positive ways. Our words. So let's use them to share the gospel. Let's use them to share the good news that Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again, offering redemption to anyone who says yes to him. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your friend. And when we share that message, we're sowing good seed into this world. When we share that message, we're using our words to lay an incredible foundation on which the house of the Lord can be built. When we tell people that we love them, when we affirm good things that we see in people, sometimes it might be the most refreshing thing because there are people that you'll come in contact with that have never received that compliment before. A lot of people, they grew up with plenty of correction, but no affirmation for the good things about them. And even the people that you really struggle to be around, using your words to share a little bit of love and encouragement with that person will change your relationship with them. Jesus did it. Do you remember Peter? Peter's the guy who denied Jesus, not once, not twice, three times, okay? Strike three, you're out. And when Jesus first met Peter, literally in their first interaction, Jesus is God. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows that Peter's shaky. He knows that Peter's gonna make some mistakes, that he's not gonna be steady. He knew that Peter was not a rock. He was more like a bowl of jello. But what did Jesus say to Peter the first time he met him? He said, Peter, 
you are a rock. He affirmed something that he saw deep within Peter. And we know the story. Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times. But after the resurrection, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching about Jesus. And the persecution begins and Peter looks into the eyes of his persecutors and he says, I'm here to please God, not man. I'm a rock. I'm steady. And God did amazing things in his life. Okay? The same is true for you. God sees a tremendous amount of potential in you. And it might not have been affirmed yet. You might not know it yet. You might not understand it. God sees a great deal of potential in your spouse. He sees a great deal of potential in your kids, things they haven't even discovered yet. He sees a great deal of potential in your classmates, a great deal of potential in your coworkers, a great deal of potential in the people that drive you absolutely insane. And through the power of Jesus Christ, he reveals that potential to us so that we can begin to flourish as we carry out his plan and his purpose for our lives. So as we close today, I wanna share with you the most powerful statement that you could ever make with your words, okay? The most powerful statement you could ever make with your tongue, and it's simply this. Jesus is Lord. It's the most powerful thing you could ever say. But it's not enough just to say it with your words. You have to believe it in your heart. Jesus is Lord. I believe in him. It's the most powerful statement you could ever make with your words. And the question that I wanna leave you with this morning is this. Do you believe that statement? Have you made that statement your profession of faith? Do you believe it in your heart? that Jesus is Lord, that I am his, that he is mine. And if you haven't made that profession, today's the day. It's the most powerful thing that could ever come out of your mouth and it's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. So let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for this passage from James that we studied from your word today. We thank you for the practicality of it. And we pray that you would help us to apply these principles to our lives. We thank you, God, that there's grace for us. Our words have done damage. We've used them as a weapon. We've set the world on fire. We've destroyed things. We've hurt people. And we thank you that there's grace for us. We thank you that you still love us just as much as you did when you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. So we pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the damaging ways that we've used our words. Help us to repair the broken relationships in our lives. Help us to rebuild burned bridges. Help us to heal the wounds that we've inflicted. And we ask God that you would change our hearts, that you would renew our hearts. Help us to use our words to praise you constantly. Fill our mouths, Father, with words of praise. Help us to rebuild and restore with our words. Help us to encourage people and compliment people and affirm good things in people with our words. God, we want to use our words as a force for good in this broken world. So may every word that comes out of our mouths reflect your perfect love for us. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you've never made that profession. Jesus is Lord. Here's why that statement is so powerful. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live because we all fall short. We're all broken. We're all imperfect. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die because the penalty for our sin is death. And that's a debt that we could never repay. But Jesus died on the cross to pay that debt for us, paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the grave to give us new life. And the Bible tells us that if you call on his name, he will save you and restore you and make you new again. That's the good news of the gospel. And if that's you today and you wanna place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Church, let's make this our prayer together. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.